morning. I'm glad to see everyone here this morning. Quite a full house and nice to see visitors here for the holidays. We were last week looking at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you all had a a good Christmas. I trust that you did. Um, We don't really know the day the Lord Jesus came, but we know he came, don't we? And we're excited about that. So I do trust that you had a good Christmas. If you're here for a Christmas message, again, I apologize, that was last week's. And so we're not going to be talking about his first coming so much as his second coming. We will review, though, uh, a little bit of his first coming. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. You'll often see in Scripture the first and second comings of the Lord Jesus are mentioned together. You'll see it in the Old Testament and then often in the New. Hebrews chapter 9 beginning at verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And again, you see here in verse 28, we have both, don't we? Here the first and second comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would like to talk a little bit about how the Lord Jesus came the first time. The Lord came... He came very humbly, didn't he? When you think about this, we talked about this last week, you're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God himself coming to this world. And how did he come? He came as a baby. He didn't come riding on a, as a king on a white horse. He was born to poor parents. His parents could only offer the minimal sacrifice that you had to give for the firstborn. Because that's all that they could afford. He was born humbly. He was born to poor parents. And when you think about it, there was very few attendants at his birth as well. You remember uh, years ago uh, when uh, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana had their babies. Boy, there's just cameras all over the place and it's on every newspaper and all of the ladies are watching all the news and... Was it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? How big? You know, what's the length? You know, all the specifications on the baby and all that, right? And everybody wanted to know. I'm sure the whole UK was gripped. But when the Lord Jesus comes, there's very few. You have a couple of shepherds watching their flocks at night. I like the fact that the Lord sent angels. The Lord Jesus' birth ought to be announced by angels. And And the sky should be filled with them. But what was the response? It was a few shepherds who showed up. There might have, might have been more animals at the Lord's birth than people. He was born as it were in a barn. Who else showed up? A little while later, we know that some, uh, some, some wise men showed up, probably within the next year or two. And they were Gentile wise men coming from the east, far away. Herod and, and Jerusalem were troubled and found out about the Lord. But they didn't want to receive him. So the Lord came very humbly the first time. He arrived very humbly. He lived very humbly. You read the life of the Lord Jesus, and you would think of a king of kings and a lord of lords. What a spectacular, incredible early life. Yet in the scriptures, what do you hear? It's almost silent for the first 30 years. You hear almost nothing about the life of the Lord Jesus. He wasn't one to draw attention to himself. Even when he started his ministry, it says about him, he wasn't the one to to yell and call out in the streets. He wasn't, when he was tempted by Satan to throw himself down from the temple, because I'm sure the angels would take care of you, Jesus, and then everyone would see who you are, the Son of God. He wouldn't do it. He lived 
very humbly. That wasn't the Father's plan, and He wasn't going to do that. Even when He... I love this story. He heals a leper. Okay? Now, in the Old Testament law, written hundreds of years before, not thousands of years before, there's, there's a law that when you're healed of leprosy, that you're supposed to go to the priest and do these different things. So Jesus heals a person of leprosy. You say, well, what's so striking about that, Charlie? Nobody else was ever healed of leprosy. They had this law. I'm sure the priest... When that guy showed up, they said, you had what? You had leprosy? Hold on, wait a second. So he goes to his books and goes, and blows off the dust off these books of what to do about the guy who was healed from leprosy. Because they never opened up that book before. Why? Because no one was ever healed of leprosy before. You see? The Lord Jesus did that. There was, as far as I know in studying and reading, there was never a Jew that was healed of leprosy. And the Lord Jesus did. He said, just go show yourself to the priest like you're supposed to. That's the Lord. Very humble. He himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God come in the flesh, said what? I haven't come to be served like kings of this world. I've come to serve. And what else did he say there? I've come to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He came to die and even when he died he died humbly didn't he you think of the Lord Jesus what did he have there at the end what did he have left you know we have to write out a, a fill out a will and and what are these other things that you fill out you know it's a living trust thank you all these different things you know here's where the cars go and here's where the stuff goes and the money goes and all these things what did the Lord have he had the clothes on his back that's it he was, he was the type, he took the money bag that, did, that money did get collected, and who did he give it to? He let the thief watch it. That's right. That's who the Lord Jesus was. Even when he died, he died humbly. But more important is why he died. You see, if the Lord had come any other way, it says in Scripture, if they had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If he would have came in his glory, what would have happened to us? No one would have died for our sin. We would have no salvation. He would be the king, and the rest of us would get what we deserve, punishment, separation from God forever. But here the Lord Jesus comes, his first coming, he comes humbly as that sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord He did come like that. And I hope every Christmas, beyond that, every day, really, we appreciate the Lord in His coming, how He came, and why He came. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 28 says this, To those who eagerly await for Him, He will appear what? A second time. Apart from sin for salvation. You see? He says, well, Charlie says, apart from sin for salvation. What does that mean? He came the first time to deal with our biggest problem. And still the biggest problem today. It's what leads to cancer. It's what leads to divorce. It's what leads to suicide. It was sin. That's our biggest problem. Those are just the temporary effects. Sin was dragging us to hell. And praise the Lord, he came for that. And he took care of it. By dying on the cross for your sin and my sin, he paid the only penalty that could have been paid. He paid death for you and me. He, and then he gives us eternal life. He says, if you trust in me, you believe in me, I will give you eternal life. He dealt with the sin question. Praise the Lord. But what is this? It says, apart for sin, for salvation, the Lord Jesus is coming back. And it's not going to be like the first time. He still is humble, but now he's going to come in the glory of his Father and all the holy angels. And that's what we want to look at this morning. This is something you're not going to get 
on the 10 o'clock news. It's the biggest news you could be thinking about throughout the scriptures. It's called the great Christian hope. That thing is in the future that is certain that we should be looking towards, that we should be working towards and expecting and looking forward to. Many of us here have, have, have gone over the second coming, but I think there's a few who are not as familiar. So we want to start with the basics. First of all, the Lord Jesus is going to come back for his people and something that's called the rapture. And I'd just like, I'd like to ask, what prophetical event, what future event has to happen before the rapture can happen? What has to happen? Tribulation, we're going to talk about that. It actually happens afterwards. Many of us, including myself, I believe it happens immediately after. We'll talk about why. There's nothing. The rapture can happen at any moment. The rapture could happen before I finish this message. Wouldn't that be? I can see this, the, 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 the grins coming on the faces. Wouldn't that be an exciting time? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But nothing, nothing has to happen first. The Lord Jesus could come back at any moment. And he tells a story. He says, look at the fig tree. You know, the trees, we, we go out during the springtime and you start to see the, the branches get kind of tender and the leaves start to come out. What do you know is going to happen next? Summer's coming, right? But what we have today is things that we see in Scripture that were never true before are true now and they speak about time of tribulation and if the rapture happens before the tribulation and the things of the tribulation are starting to be possible now were never possible before what does that tell you about the rapture it's coming soon it's coming very soon in the in in the in the tribulation it talks about the whole world having being basically tuned in as it were having access to the Antichrist, to see him, to follow him, to worship him. When has that been possible? Except for the last 50 to 100 years. You can click on the internet and you can be across the world like that. TV will broadcast it all, the, all, all throughout. How? Satellites. When did that happen? last 10 to 20 years. It says about the Antichrist, he will control everyone so that you cannot buy or sell unless you have his mark. What do we have now where you can keep control of your, you, you can track down your dog to the nearest six feet? What do we have? We have chips, don't we? We have technology, we would call it. What I call it is just kind of the intro to the tribulation. Charlie, are you trying to scare me this morning? Well, I hope not. I hope you're not scared. If you're a believer, you're excited. If you're a believer, you know that when the tribulation comes, you won't be here for it. Praise the Lord. You see? Because the rapture happens before. And every true believer, everyone who really knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, he takes them up to be with him. Let's go ahead and look at that. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <coughs> An old preacher used to say, you know, the Lord accepts all types of brethren. He doesn't mind Baptist brethren. He doesn't mind, you know, Pentecostal brethren. He doesn't mind closed brethren, open brethren, tight brethren. There's only one brethren the Lord doesn't like. That's the one in verse 13. But I, not, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. He doesn't want the ignorant brethren. He wants people to be aware. He's writing to the Thessalonians. Uh, Paul the Apostle says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. These ones had seen believers die and they were concerned. They were wondering what was going to happen to them. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I love that. 
You know what? You know what death is to a true believer? It's sleep. What do we do when we need some sleep? You know, it's because we're tired. You know, and we finally just conk out. You know, it's because our bodies need to be need a rest. They need to be revived, right? Well, for a believer, that's really all death is. Your bodies are done. God's going to give you a new body. A body that's not going to need any more improvement or any rest. No operations. No fixes. Not even any physical training. The Michael Longs of the world will be out of business in heaven. Praise the Lord. Those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that exciting? Do you, you see what that's saying there? Everyone who knows the Lord, he's going to, I think he's just going to say something simple like, come. He said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. If he didn't say Lazarus, all the dead would have probably rose up. He had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Why? Because one day he's going to say, my bride, come forth. And we will be gone. Every true believer will be gone to be with the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. This, this mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruptible. And it says in 1 John, when we see him, we'll be like him. We shall see him as he is. And we're not going to be first. If we're alive, those who have died before us, I was just thinking of some of the saints. Remember the Allensworths? I remember Carolyn, Karen Alonzo. I remember our brother Bill, gone just a little over a year ago, this Christmas. We're not going before them. They're going before us, but we're going with them. We're going to meet Jesus in the air. And I love this, how it ends here, in verse 17. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Don't be ignorant about what's going to happen, believers. Know what's going to happen. Jesus is coming again for us. And we're going to be with him forever. Praise the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It's just, it, it's just getting started. What, what do they call that in, at, at graduations? They call it the commencement exercise, right? I think that would be truly be, might be called a commencement because it's just beginning. What do you have there? The Lord Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place, that he's not going to eat or drink until he's with us again. He's not really going to sit down and have that, that marriage supper of the Lamb and we're his bride until we're with him. Okay, and that's what's going to be going on in heaven. The believers are going to be with the Lord Jesus. But something else is going to be going on too, won't it? There's going to be a time of reflection. There's going to be a time of review of the believer's life. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. That'll be what's going on in heaven. We'll be there with the Lord. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians verse uh, 2 Corinthians 5. <coughs> and the context here is Paul again is speaking to the saints, the believers at Corinth. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 verse 10. And he says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Some know this as the word bima, as it is in the Greek. The bima seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And again, this is not talking about good works versus bad works to earn your way into heaven. That's not what this is talking about. Jesus already settled that. You couldn't be good enough. And neither could I. Only Jesus was good enough. He who knew no sin, as it says in this chapter at the end, he who knew no sin 
became sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, here, I give you my righteousness as a free gift when you trust in me. But this judgment is for believers. In 1 Corinthians 3, we learn that we have lives that we're building. Gold, silver, and, then, and, and other acts and deeds that we do. And if it's things that are going to stand up to the test of the fire, it says fire. You know what I think that fire is? I think it's the Lord looking at it. I don't know about you, but I know for some of you fathers, when you're dealing with your children, they'll say, hey, hey, Dad, what about this? And you'll look at it, and then you'll look at them, and they go, all right, I'll go work on it some more. You know, because they could know from your look, your discerning look, even more so the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to look at the things we've done. And that gaze, that purifying gaze, anything that's not in him, it's just going to burn up. It says we're going to suffer loss. We're not going to lose our salvation. But we thought we had some reward, and we didn't. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, towards the end here. But for those who, who are walking with the Lord, who are serving the Lord, who are in the Spirit, that fire is going to test it. And he's going to say, yeah, that was from me. That was in me. That was for me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's enough just to go to heaven. God is going to give us rewards. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Heaven would be enough of a reward. Jesus is enough of a reward. But on top of that, he's going to give rewards. And that's what's going, up on, going on in heaven for seven years. What's going down on, what's happened down on the earth for seven years? I think what you're going to see is what we talked about earlier. And we don't have time to look at all the passages. Better Brothers than I have gave great messages on us that you can look up. I think most of them are on the internet now. But it's called the tribulation time. It's a time that Jesus said is going to be so incredible, it's going to be more than the world had ever seen up to that point or will ever see again. I was looking for the passage where it says in the Old Testament, the whole earth is going to rock to and fro like a drunken man. It's going to be so incredible. Let's, let's uh, turn to 2 Thessalonians uh, verse 1. Excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Again, the Thessalonians had been confused, probably by forgerers, others who had claimed that the day of Christ had come and had said they were spoke, speaking for Paul. Verse 3 says this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do we know who this is? This is the Antichrist. Okay? And again, just to condense a lot of end times scriptural facts these, these are future facts what's going to happen is in the tribulation we'll read here we'll read the rest of the passage in a moment right now the, the Lord is present by the person of the Holy Spirit amongst his people the church well when the rapture happens where is the presence of the Holy Spirit on this earth gone there is nothing restraining the, Jesus said you are the light of the world you are the salt of the earth now, if that light and salt is gone, there's nothing restraining. So we believe, as we read, we'll read the rest of these verses in a second, that it's the believers, more importantly, the Holy Spirit present in the believers that is keeping back sin and evil. But when the Lord takes us, he's going to say, now. And that's when this man of sin is going to arrive. That can happen tomorrow. He might already be born. I wondered about President Obama. Will he be making a deal with him? It very well happen. 
And I will not be surprised. Uh, I will only be surprised if it doesn't happen in my lifetime. Who is this Antichrist? One international politician said this. Give us a man and we'll follow him. Be he God or be he devil. We don't care. Just give us a man and we'll follow him. Well, they're going to get basically the devil. He's called the son of perdition. We're going to read here and see that what he'll eventually be is he'll be a man who is indwelt by Satan, personally controlled by the, uh, uh, the, the head fallen one, Lucifer himself. He will unite the whole world. It says in Revelation, he has a bow. It doesn't say he has a bow, an arrow, or a sword. He just has a bow. He'll, he'll unite the whole world without violence. I think he'll be the most charismatic person anyone has ever heard. I bet you he, can, he even brings peace, to some extent, to the Middle East. You see? He'll bring it all together. Why? What has Satan always wanted? He says, I will exalt myself. I will be like the Most High. I will sit in that seat. You see, Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. And now he's going to get what he's wanted. He's going to get that position through the Antichrist. And he'll be indwelling the Antichrist. And then people will worship him. He'll make an agreement with Israel in those seven years. And in the middle of those seven years, three and a half years in, he's going to stop the temple sacrifices. Now, most of you, who, some of you who know current political history, there is no temple. Right now, there's a mosque. There's a Muslim mosque where the temple is supposed to be. But you know what? Until 60 years ago, there was no country of Israel either. There was only these little tricklings. Those of us who are a little bit older, they remember when Israel came into existence and was recognized as a country. Now that you have Israel, you have people working on the temple, people working on the utensils, people wanting to create that temple again. But the Lord says, he said, if you see the leaves, know that summer's coming. Okay? If we can see the issues of the tribulation coming together, what does that mean? The rapture is coming. He will set himself up as God, showing that he is God. Verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, he isn't really God, is he? But that's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, reiterated by the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew 24. Isn't it neat? When I mean, we sit here as believers, you got the whole playbook. I'm sorry, I'm an old football player. You know? You have your playbook on your team, they have their playbook on their team. You don't know what they're going to do. So you just do the best you can. The neat thing is there's only one playbook. And we already know what's going to happen. And better than that, Jesus wins. And we win with him. I, I love it in verse 5. So Paul says, do you not remember that when I, was, when I was still with you? I told you these things. He's telling about end times things we've yet to see in the 21st century, and he was telling them back in the 1st century. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. We believe that's the Holy Spirit keeping back evil. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. By the way, the Antichrist is not just going to be a politician. He will be the most powerful man this world has ever seen. He's got the whole power of Satan behind him. If you remember your, your Bible history, remember Jean and Jambres, the Egyptian magicians, they kind of tried to hold their own for the first couple of miracles that Moses did, that the Lord did through Moses. Well, now you have Satan himself. Signs and miraculous, they can make statues speak. Okay? Why? Why is the Lord going to allow this? Listen very carefully. Verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, 
because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God, not Satan, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see what this is saying here? If you're sitting here this morning and you've heard the gospel and you know the Lord Jesus is speaking to your heart and you should receive him, you should bow the knee to him, but you say, you know what? I don't want to. I know he created me. I know that I should receive him. But you know what? I really like running my own life. I really like doing my own thing. And you know what? These are certain things that I don't want to give up. What this says is if you're alive when that happens, it's not going to just be Satan. It's not going to just be the Antichrist who's going to be powerful. God says you have a choice now. Because if you think you're going to see the rapture happening and see the Antichrist and then try to become saved, it's not going to happen. God is not playing games. God says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And if you wait, it'll be too late. Because when God sends a strong delusion, when God ratifies that hardened heart of Pharaoh and says, okay, I harden it too. There's no going back. It's it. Sealed. It's done. So that's what you're going to have. You're going to have a world, many exposed to the gospel, but with no second chance. There will be a few who had never heard the gospel. The gospel will go out into all the world, and there will be a few who, who become saved. But Satan will have what he eventually wanted. It says that they'll all receive in Revelation chapter 13, the mark, and the whole world will worship the Antichrist, the beast he's called there, who's empowered by Satan. Well, if you caught that in verse 8, you know, some people start to picture the struggle of good and evil as you know, the Lord kind of wins sometimes, and, but Satan gets an advantage, and the Lord kind of struggles back. No, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. It says in verse, sorry, verse 8, the Lord, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Is there anything weaker that you own than the breath of your mouth? You know, you can make a, a blade of grass move, maybe, if you're close enough to it. Right? What is this telling us? It's no contest. Jesus wins. And when Jesus comes back after these seven years, and again, this could be in 2016, could be 2000 and 2015. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be in a little manger scene as a cuddly little baby. It's not going to be like that. He says, as the lightning flashes from the east and to the west, so will the Son of Man coming be. From Revelation chapter 1, it says, every eye will see him. And you know what, believers? We're going to be with them. Because he returns with his saints. Seven years of being with the Lord in heaven. You know, I think the Lord will be reviewing our lives and to wipe away every tear. I think that will be some of the tears, some of the loss. But after that's all dealt with, we'll be with him. And we're going to come back with him. And the saints are going to reign with the Lord. Everything that's wrong now won't be wrong then. Everything will be made right. The Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, will reign. The Antichrist, his false prophet, Satan himself, the breath of his mouth, gone. All the rest of the enemies who try to fight against the Lord will be destroyed. And the Lord Jesus will reign for a thousand years. Just like it said, like it's always promised. The Lord Jesus is going to reign. After that, it says in Revelation, uh, beginning of Revelation 20, Satan will be loosed a little bit. This is the amazing part to me. I can't believe this. Let's turn to Revelation 20. 
Here you have Jesus reigning on the earth. I mean, he's the visible ruler. And look what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on, in, on him so that he should deceive the nations. No more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Verse 7, Now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. There's going to be a perfect ruler for a thousand years. And you know what we as people are going to do? Okay, It's going to be those who survive the tribulation, the believers who survive the tribulation, they're going to have offspring who have the, the ability to choose to serve the Lord who's right in front of them. After a thousand years, they're eventually going to turn away from the Lord. Being able to see Him. We don't see Him and we love Him. They're going to see Him and they're still going to turn away. Satan's going to be able to, not just a small army, but a, a numberless army. It's incredible. Even with Jesus here, what does our sinful heart do? Still wants to wander away. Follow the lie. Verse 9, They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. After the thousand years, there's a very short battle and it's over. The Lord Jesus wins. And then you can read, we don't have time to read Revelation 21. It's a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. There's no sun, there's no moon. The Lord is the sun. He's the brightness. He's the light. He's the glory. So the question this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready? If you don't know the Lord this morning, I, I almost feel apologetic, not really, but I almost feel apologetic that I put this burden on you of the gospel. Because now that you've heard and you, and you realize, and you've probably known before, the Lord Jesus died for you, you're now responsible to do something about it. You're now responsible to act on it. The Lord will hold you accountable for what you've heard. Or else there is a strong delusion coming. And I don't pray that on anybody. Let's turn to Matthew 24. Great chapter of a lot of the things we just spoke about. But now we're going to speak to the, to the believers. Are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Matthew 24, beginning in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master may ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, oh, my master is delaying his coming, begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him a portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who is that faithful and wise servant? The Lord Jesus is asking us this morning, believers, who is that faithful and wise servant? You could see the opposite of the faithful and wise servant and we know from the rest of Scripture this is one of those ones that Jesus will say, I never knew you. It's not someone who lost their salvation, but someone who was never really saved. But let's look at the positive end of it. Who is that faithful and wise servant? Who when his master comes, finds him so doing. 
seeing the price that Jesus paid for their salvation, seeing the gifts that He's given us in the meantime, knowing the place He's preparing that we're going to go be with Him. Who is that faithful and wise servant? When I think of, when I think of Calvary Bible Chapel, and I think what the Lord is doing, the Lord is doing great things at Calvary Bible Chapel. The Lord is saving people. The Lord is causing people to grow. We have a building uh, project that we're praying about, that we're, we're taking baby steps towards as we move forward. But again, the Lord has a, bi- a bigger building project going on. He's building a church, not just a building with plaster and wood. He's building it of people. If you're a faithful and wise servant and the Lord is building a church of people, what would you be doing as a faithful and wise servant? Be building it with Him. Building it with Him. Matthew 6, 36, Matthew chapter 6, 33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. I think often what we've done is we've sought first all the other things. If you ask people, why do you go to work? You know what the number one answer is? Pay a mortgage. Right? Shouldn't be true of a believer. What are we doing? Are we going to work to do what we have to so we have a chance to talk to someone about the Lord? You know, do we have the priorities upside down? Seek the kingdom of God, other believers, the bride of Christ, here. I don't know why the Lord didn't give us a building in Castro Valley here or San Leandro, but He gave us one in Fremont. We're seeing people people saved. Where do they live? They live in Fremont, Milpitas, San Jose. Why is that? I think the Lord is saying, I've got a building plan, and I want you believers at Calvary Bible Chapel to be part of that building plan. Now, he could do that building wherever you're at. But let's, let's see where the Lord is leading. Let's see where he's building. I want to be that faithful and wise servant so when he comes back, we're doing what he asks us to do. Seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Doing what's right. It says, feeding those in the household. And here I want to get a, a little bit more personal. Are we feeding those in our household? I think one of the hardest things to do has to do with our household, has to do with our family, has to do with our children. Are we challenging our children or are we being led by our children? Are we challenging them with the claims of Christ or are we exemplifying a life lived for Christ? We had a good, good discussion over at Paul and Joy's house and we were talking about the reality of of children what they see. And I know this as I've seen leaders growing up. You see kids get a heart for Christ when? When their parents have a heart for Christ. When the Lord Jesus is alive in their lives day in and day out. They come to church because they love the Lord. They, they talk to people about the gospel because they love Him. They can't help it. They just kind of gossip the gospel like the early church. You know? What does that do? Kids go, you know what? That's reality. And I want to follow reality. I want that in my life. I think some of us, we're down a road. Maybe we got saved later in life. Are you willing to challenge your children for Christ? Yeah, you might ruffle some feathers. But you know what? The Lord's going to use it. If you use His Word and you do it in the Spirit and not in the flesh, and you challenge Him for Christ, He's going to use it. Might be before you go see him, might be afterwards. What else? What else should we be doing as we wait for the Lord? Well, the reality is, God is seeking something. Did you know God looks for things? In John chapter 4, he's having a, the Lord Jesus is having a um, theological debate with a Samaritan woman who'd been married lots and wasn't married at that time to the guy she was with. But nevertheless, she was a theologian. And Jesus says this, God is seeking 
God is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is that so important? This has been the biggest challenge for me as I prepared for this message. What are we going to be doing for the rest of eternity, brothers and sisters? It's going to be worshiping the Lord. We put a lot of time, me not as much as maybe I should, but we put a lot of time in physical exercise. Do we put it into spiritual exercise? Worship of the Lord. Why? Why is that important? The Lord Jesus is seeking those to worship Him, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, according to His Word, according to the reality of a changed life. He's looking for that. My wife and I, we were studying Noah. After a hundred years of building a boat in the middle of nowhere, God says, all right, Noah, let's get in the boat because I have seen you are righteous before me in this generation. And it hit me. The Lord looks at my life. What does He see? Does he see a worshiper, one who worships in spirit and in truth, who appreciates him, who walks with him? Enoch walked with God and was not. Why? Because he, he walked with God. And God just took him. God's going to be taking us believers. Are we walking with him in anticipation, loving that moment when he's going to come and appreciating him? Because you know what? It says in the ages to come, that's what we're going to do. He's going to show forth... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And it hit me, you know what? This is what we need to be doing now. We need to be appreciating Jesus now. Letting the joy of the Lord be our strength and really filling us and, and controlling us and appreciating him and worshiping him. So I gave an invitation last week to anyone who wanted to come and, and speak. And I'd still like, there's a couple of brothers who, who said they wanted to come and share. Uh, our first one is going to be uh, VJ, Silent God Steady. All right, does that pretty close? All right. He wants to share his testimony and show appreciation for the Lord's been doing in his life. Come on up here, VJ.
بسیاری از وارد دارید طبیعی هستند در بنابراین و درست نتیجی هست این چی خاطر بلوکین ایدیت چه نتیجی هست در اون که بگاه کنم این چیز که ایدیتیم همیدیتیم در درست نتیجی هست این که هم این که دوره ارگینا تاگیری Wonderful knowing the living God, the God who hears and answers prayer, the, the true God. All right. Dave, you want to come share? Oh, absolutely.
I was just um, similar verse to what Charlie was sharing back um, when I was first uh, graduated from homeschool, started to go out into the uh, you know the real world, and my dad shared with me early on the verse that Charlie shared: "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you." And I'm in the middle of that right now. In VJ's story, he kind of got in there. He got his job. Well, I haven't yet, but the Lord's been with me all the way, and He's been. Uh, working through it in really miraculous ways. Um, Charlie and I were talking last night. He called me and I, he, I, he said, how you doing? And I said, good, how you doing? He said, a lot better than I deserve. And that's what I'm here to say because I'm doing a whole lot better than I deserve. Um, just really briefly, when I, when I went to school at first, I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, but the Lord worked it out that I was going to do music. I, he happened to lead me into doing choir, something that I enjoyed. Uh, just the right school, a junior college at first, where I was able to be introduced at the level where I was. Um, then I moved up to a four-year school. Um, I ended up meeting some people at different high schools. I, I thought I was going to be a piano performer, right? Um, I thought I was going to compete. I started too late to do anything like that, but I didn't know that. The Lord worked it out so that I had enough piano skills to, be, to do choir, which is something that's very important when I do something like that. Um, I met a, a choir director who was young, uh, and I found out that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to direct a choir at some school around here. Um, the Lord allowed it so that I was the assistant conductor at my, my school at uh, Cal State. I happened to uh, call, when I was getting ready to do my volunteer work at uh, high schools, I happened to call one of the best choir programs around here. I just, I just kind of picked her name because someone had mentioned her. Uh, went there a whole bunch, learned so much, and then I got invited to do my student teaching over somewhere else from a guy that I've been trying to get a hold of but couldn't have. He, end up, he ended up getting a hold of me and asking me to come do my student teaching there. The Lord worked it out that I'd get paid for that. And it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I can honestly tell you that I haven't been very good about that. It's been on my mind. It's been something that I've been working, that I've been striving towards. But I can tell you that I've failed so many countless times. But the Lord's been faithful, and he's been gracious, and he's been working this out in spite of me. I've tried to do a few things that turned out it wasn't the Lord's will, and he, he was gracious enough to prevent me from doing what I wanted to do. And right now, the economy's going down. I have no idea what's going to come up, but I'm not worried. Some of the people at my school are really worried because maybe we won't get jobs. You know, Maybe this is going to happen, maybe that. But I know the Lord has said, all these things will be added unto you. I don't know what all these things, maybe all these things is going to be no job and washing windows or something like that, but I know that it's going to be in the Lord's will. He's going to take care of me, and so I'm thankful for how well the Lord's taken care of me so far, and I'm thankful for the fact that I don't have anything to worry about because I know that when I'm in His will and I'm struggling to please Him, that's all that matters. So praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to confess you are wonderful. When we stop and consider how wonderful you are, uh, Lord, we, uh, we're just uh, amazed. Uh, Lord, Lord, I know for myself, I, uh, I almost instantly think of, Lord, I haven't given you enough. Uh, it hasn't even come close. And so, Lord, we do uh, thank you. We do thank you that you did come to die. You came humbly, uh, as it were, almost quietly. And, Lord, we do thank you that... Uh, you came to die to take care of our biggest need, our, our sin problem, our hell problem. And Lord, we do thank you that as you promised, you're going to come. You're going to come again, and receive us to yourself. That where you are, we might be also. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Lord, we look forward to that day. We do want to walk with you. We do want to present our needs to you and cry out to you, and to see you answer and to give you the glory that you deserve, that you might draw others to yourself, because, Lord, you are so worthy. And so, Lord, we do pray as we look at this new year, 2009, uh, Lord, we do, we do commit ourselves afresh to walking with you, that you might see that same type of obedience, that same type of righteousness 
as we see in those in your word, that it might be true in our lives as well. And that you might use us, uh, Calvary Bible Chapel, in a new way, whether it be here in this area or abroad in, in the world. Lord, we pray that we might, you might keep us close. Lord, keep us from wandering and draw us near. And Lord, we look forward uh, to your coming back. And we look at 2009 and we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we commit ourselves to you and ask all these things in your name. Amen.